Man, I appreciate uh, the guests that are here. I pray that you're encouraging the Lord. If you are a guest, uh, please make sure that if you don't fill out a white guest card, rip off that thing on the side of your um, announcement and drop that in the offering uh, later on at the end of service. If you did not get an outline, uh, just raise your hand. Ushers are coming around with extra handouts. Uh, Have you ever noticed how um, you can never address a problem if you don't know you have one? I mean, it's hard to do. It's hard to do that. It's hard to address a problem if you don't know that you have one. And, and so it's uh, God's grace that he allows us to experience symptoms so that we can address issues of problems, whether we realize it or not. A couple of years ago, last month, Pastor Randy went out for a light jog and suddenly experienced symptoms that were, were really minor. He almost didn't go to the emergency room. They decided that, you know what, I better do this anyway. He pulls in, and the next thing you know, he's diagnosed with glioblastoma, of course, and uh, he was in literally for the fight of his life. And by God's grace, he's, uh, you know, survived that and, and continuing to do well. But he had, he recognized the symptom. Uh, it was just a little over a week ago, last Thursday, um, you know, my daughter went in for a procedure and we thought, oh, this is going to take care of her problem. And guess what? We it, A couple of days later, like, oh, she's going to do good. She's going to go home in a few days. And infectious disease doctor walked in and said, no, she's not. Something's wrong. We're like, what? He's like, yeah, something's wrong. And of course, a couple of days later, we knew something was very wrong because the symptoms showed up. And so if you don't know there's a problem, you can't fix it. And so, uh, and of course, we were able to go in last Wednesday and, and get that uh, resolved. And so that's a blessing as well. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we got to know there's an issue if we're going to address it. And so most of us know the story of Exodus uh, this is a, uh, it's a, it's, it's a book I've been, it's been on my heart to preach this for, for literally like over a year. I've been wanting to get here, but we've had other things in front of it. So I've been stewing on this for a long time. Uh, and this morning, uh, as we get into the book of Exodus, it's going to start a series called Getting Out of Egypt. And the children of Israel, as many of you know, were God's chosen people. They were in this place called Egypt, uh, not by any fault of their own. They were born there at this time as we get to the book of Exodus as uh, Joseph has passed on and generations now, three generations past Joseph have been raised there. And, uh, and so he is, he is in a situation, or the nation of Israel is in a situation where uh, they're in bondage, but they don't realize it. They're in a situation where they're in bondage, but they don't realize it. It's like having a, a credit card, right? The Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender, but it, it feels like, man, I got extra cash available, but you really don't. Right, And you don't really sense that you don't have cash available until the bill comes due. And then they do that thing called compounding interest. I don't think anybody in, in this room could ever uh, identify with that in this culture nowadays because I know everyone pays cash up front for everything. I'm just kidding, right? So that is the culture, right? That's part of the way our culture runs today is trying to get people hooked on credit. Why? Because they want to put you into financial bondage. But you often don't realize it until... Well, until you feel the pressure. And that's the situation that we'll see with the children of Israel. They didn't really understand or grasp the pressure they were under until a problem king showed up to give them a little bit of pressure to help motivate them to go back to the things that God had intended for them all along. He wanted them to be healthy. He wanted them to be whole. And if they stayed there in Egypt, they wouldn't be. And so most of us know the story of Exodus. God prophesied through Abraham in Genesis 15 before he even had children that over 100 years in the future, his seed would go into captivity for 400 years and emerge a mighty nation fit for the inheritance of the promised land. You can find that in Genesis 15 and verse 13. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, and he eventually had Isaac, uh, his son, that was counted for the promise, and 
that son, Isaac, eventually had Jacob, who eventually had Joseph, who was the seed that was sent before Jacob under uh, the the very uh, difficult circumstances at the hands of his own brothers that ended up being in God's providence a way to deliver uh, those same brothers and Jacob and the nation of Israel and the promise and the promised seed just the way God intended it through the most upside down and backward circumstances you could imagine because God's a God that takes all things and works them together for good to them that love him, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so Jason, or Jason, I was looking at Jason. Joseph was, Joseph was, Jason here called, brother. Joseph, Jason was called, Joseph was called, and, uh, and, and uh, God had a purpose in, their, in, in uh, his life to save others, to see the whole uh, family and the promised seed that's attached to the promised land delivered. So the story of Joseph is, a, is glorious, right? As he, as a picture of Christ, delivers his brethren, uh, who thought to murder him. Instead, uh, instead of murdering him, of course, they, they, they laid back because of the grace in their hearts, and they sold him, right, instead uh, to the Egyptians. So their dad could mourn for years thinking their son was dead. They, they basically feigned his death. And uh, so for so many years, uh, they assumed, uh, his father Jacob assumed that he was dead and, and grieved the loss of his son, Benjamin's older brother. And so, um, of course, as you know how the story goes, years after they betrayed their father's trust, God allowed famine to draw the brothers back together to Joseph. They didn't have any idea that the ruler of Egypt that they would be addressing was their very brother who they had sold into slavery. They didn't even recognize him. Um, I saw a picture of Johnny Depp like that the other day. I couldn't even recognize the guy, right? They didn't even know who they were dealing with. He's, Joseph was way cooler than Johnny Depp. But anyway, uh, and so... So, but he he had grown up, and he was now uh, they wouldn't have recognized him just by virtue of his authority, right? He's second now in command of the whole nation of Egypt, the strongest nation on the planet at that time. And uh, God, through visions, have already given him wisdom on what was coming, and they had stored up seven years of plenty, right, for seven years of drought, and all of those things that transpired. So he was the man. I mean, he literally was running the show, like more than Henry Kissinger. He was running the show. Uh, for uh, for the for the the Pharaoh in Egypt, he was second in command. So they show up, and you know the story. They finally realize who he is and understand that uh, you know they could be killed by him. But instead, he monkeys around with them a little bit and gets them to bring not only his brother Benjamin, but eventually, uh, reluctantly, even his father Jacob comes to Egypt and settles there until his death. And so. Uh, that's where we find ourselves as, uh, as we enter the book of Exodus. That leads us to the last, uh, the last uh, chapter in Genesis, the book of beginnings. And it's gonna, I'm going to start there this morning in Genesis chapter 50. He said, well, I thought you were going to talk about Exodus. Well, I am. So just, just hang with me. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 50, and I want you to look down at verse 26. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. And just to kind of give you a forewarning, we're going to flip the page if you have a page that needs to be flipped to Exodus chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat rack in front of you. Be turning to page 82, and you will find everything we're going to need this morning there in verse 82 of one of those Bibles in the seat rack in front of you or in a guest bag. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 26. This is the last. I'll pick it up in verse uh, 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, and he and his father's house. And Joseph lived 110 years And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker and the son of Manasseh were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. 
And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto a land which he sware to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this text that is before us. We thank you for the reality that you do not forget your promises. Heavenly Father, there are times in our lives when we forget your promises to us, but you never forget those. And Lord, like Joseph, a type of Christ, he does not forget your word either. Lord, we are promised in this book a deliverance. And at times we are blessed and we have bounty and we forget your promises. At times we're oppressed and we feel like uh, your promises have evaporated. But yet, Lord, your word is true, even when we're not. And we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the promises of deliverance that you provide for us. We're thankful for the opportunity to be able not only to live this life, but to live victoriously before we escape and get to heaven. We are so thankful for the word of God this morning. I pray a blessing upon the reading, the hearing, and the application. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the last thing we see in Genesis 50 and verse 26 there is that this book starts off, right, with a great creator. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. I mean, an incredible start. And you end up with Joseph in a coffin in Egypt. I mean, what a bummer. Bum, bum, bum. All right. And that's what happens when you deal with men, right? Uh, with men, it's, it's a rough go. But Joseph has these promises, and he goes to the coffin with these promises, and it's a good thing. So as we, as we see that he lived 110 years and was put in the coffin in Egypt, uh, if, that were where the, if that is where the story was going to end, that would be tragic, right? There's many people even today, maybe even in this room or watching online, that think that really that's life, right? You have this situation, and then uh, you go through life, and then it's over. And you're in the coffin in Egypt. Now, God forbid, man. We're not, that's not us uh, because we know the Lord Jesus Christ. So just as jo- Joseph was looking, for, uh, Joseph was looking for a resurrection through, uh, uh, through Shiloh, prophesied in Genesis 49 and verse 10. So Israel, whether they knew it or not, was in need of being rescued from the bondage that they had been born into. Can I get an amen, right? So uh, if you don't know that you've been born into bondage, uh, you are, um, hey, you, you're an American, man. You're free. That's what we think. But the, the truth is, is our, even our flesh brings us into bondage. And so it was evident that during Joseph, Joseph's life and the life of Pharaoh's, the Pharaohs who knew Joseph, that all was well with the children of Jacob who had prospered in Goshen land as God blessed the, the seed of Abraham. Right? As long as they knew Joseph, everything was fine. As long as there was a relationship with Joseph, his children did fine. But there arose a king in Exodus chapter 1 who didn't know Joseph. And then that's when things began to get a little dicey. And it was a good thing, uh, and it was good to find. Uh, uh, it, was, it was, I'm sorry, and that was good and fine. But God had a plan for the, uh, from the beginning to move his people to the promised land. The problem was things were getting too good for his people, right? It was getting too good in Egypt. And God said, hey, we got to get these guys out of here. And so God, uh, even though he prospered them in Goshen, he was preparing to move them to the promised land because he had promised uh, the seed would come through the the 12 tribes of Israel, going back to Jacob, going back to Abraham, uh, which is, in in essence, a picture of what's going to happen when Jesus comes and rules and reigns on this earth. I'll get to that later. But now the children of Israel were born into bondage, And it didn't feel like bondage until we get to Exodus chapter 1. Now look at the text with me in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 7. 
Exodus, or Exodus chapter 1. And verse, I'll start in verse 1. It says, And now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Sibion, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. So everyone that had come into the promised land... Uh, the 12 brothers, the 70 that came when they all moved in with, a, um, with their father Jacob many years earlier had all died. And that's where the tone changes. In verse 7 it says, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. <clears throat> now there, there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass, that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore did they set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built uh, for Pharaoh's treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. So you can see here that uh, the tone had changed greatly. And they went into this situation where they were oppressed and afflicted, is the words that are used, with great rigor. Right? They were rigorously being used. But even that wasn't enough. As we get to verse 15, we see now a problem king. And it says, And the king of Egypt spake unto the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was uh, Shipra, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then shall she live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. So before they can even get there to, to take the child, they're already born. Verse 20, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. So we see here that the promised seed was not treated well by the problem king, because God needed them to awaken to the inheritance that he had for them in the promised land. Now, we don't inherit physical inheritance in the church age, but in type, we can understand that God wants us to, uh, he wants us to make sure that we know this uh, time we have on earth is simply a time for us uh, to pass through. He doesn't want us to get anchored too far and get our roots too deep in this earth. So we're not to get too caught up in the things of this life, the things of this earth the temporal things, the carnal things. We are to be, uh, understand that we have been made new creatures in Christ. Right, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And God has given us a, a completely different purpose uh, in this kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so we don't inherit property. We don't 
uh, inherit all of those things that this earth has to offer. We inherited something even better, which is the very image of God, Christ Jesus, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He is the creator. He's the one who opens Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He's the one who dwells in us. Christ is the image, the express image of God. When there is God manifest in flesh, it is Jesus Christ. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. We are a new creature in Christ. We have this incredible inheritance that God has given us. A Jesus Christ, who spoke the worlds into existence, it lives inside of our bodies via the Holy Ghost. And in that sense, we have a much, much better inheritance. Yet, there is still much to learn from the types and the shadows in the, books of, in the book of Exodus. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul said, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm always down for a good picture book, right? Because reading is tedious. It puts you to sleep. At least it does me sometimes. So you know what God has given us in the Old Testament? He has given us pictures. He's given us a picture book. It said that a picture is worth a thousand words. Is that true? Amen. You can see a lot in a picture. And God gives us a lot of New Testament principles from the Old Testament things that he has written in the book. They're, they're written not just so, for us to see things clearly, but to draw comfort and to have patience, right? Because you've got to have patience when you endure affliction. So it's no accident that God puts these stories in the Old Testament because they serve as pictures for us who are here today that are that are going forward in the faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul said as much as he taught the Corinthians that the Old Testament pictures serve to teach us uh, so that we can be obedient and not be disobedient like the nation of Israel. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did drink that spiritual drink and, did, and they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. All right, there's a revelation. That rock that followed them, what rock? Well, the pillar in the cloud. Who was that? That was Christ. Christ was leading them through the wilderness journey. We'll get to that in the coming weeks. Now he says in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 10, now all these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. God has given us a picture book. He's given us an illustration. He's given us an example so that we do not have to have the same problems that uh, the children of Israel did as they traveled through the wilderness, as they were on their way to the promised land. Many of us were born again at some point in the past, right? I was born again March 25th, 1987. And the time that I abide here is sort of like a wilderness journey. I came out of the world and began a journey of faith to the promised land. And that journey of faith has uh, got a lot, of, a lot of potholes. It's got a lot of twists and turns. And just like the children of Israel, as they make their way to the promised land to enter in with Joshua across the Jordan River. That text in 1 Corinthians 10 goes on to say, Neither be idolaters. Those are some of the potholes that we face. Worshiping something other than God. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I mean, they went out to eat and they went and watched the Chiefs game. Next thing you know, they're in a mess, right? And they sat down to eat and they drank and they rose up to play. And, and neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. I mean, there's no sexual temptation in our generation, is there? Uh, right? It's everywhere, right? It's just bombarding everyone. It's ridiculous. And so uh, why is that? Because the devil is trying to take the church offline. He's trying to take people who should know better offline so they don't get where God wants them to go. Because the biggest threat to Satan, beloved, is you. Whether you know it or not, don't get too comfortable because the devil hates you. 
And, and I tell you what, as soon as God lifts any grace, man, I tell you, you'll, you'll come to know how much he hates you. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Don't play with God. Don't take his words lightly. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Right? Don't be, don't be bickering, backbiting, like a serpent talking around about people behind their back causing discord in the body of Christ. Why? Because God will take you offline individually. Okay, those are just some quick lessons we can learn out of, out of the Old Testament, right? And you can go back and see all those stories in uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy and get a lot of education. But he says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10, now all these things happen unto them really for us, right? For, for, uh, for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. He says, these things are all happened so that you today could understand what you can do with these things. These are here for us to be admonished so we don't make the same mistakes as the children of Israel. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. So God doesn't want us to fall. Anybody here want to fall? I don't want to fall. I want to, I want to continue to stand. And if I do fall, I want to get back up again, right? So we want to be able to walk with God. We want to be able to run with God. We want to be able to run our race and finish our course. Well, if we really want to do that, then we need to take advantage of the pictures that God has given us in the Old Testament and learn the lessons so we don't have the same problems. So God wants us to learn some things from the nation of Israel after the death of Joseph this morning. And the first thing we see this morning is that they were born into bondage, but they probably didn't feel like it until Joseph died, and a new king came on the scene. And Joseph rose to that place, uh, I'm sorry, a new king came on the scene that didn't know Joseph, and rose to the place uh, where he allowed them uh, to be afflicted with hard bondage. Particularly, you know, it says that they were uh, afflicted with rigor, right? Great rigorous bondage. I mean, this was something that was was just uh, heavy upon them. God was, was doing... Uh, his children of favor and reminding them that they didn't want to exchange their spiritual inheritance for a temporal one in Egypt. Beloved, that, that, that is going to preach because too many of us today are in financial bondage, emotional bondage, spiritual bondage, you name it. We're in bondage. And God does not intend for us to stay there. And the time to recognize that is now and to come up on that. The only way you can do it is the same way Israel did. First, you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to be comforted by the Scripture. You're going to have to endure faithfully, and you're going to have to trust God for deliverance. There is no easy out other than Jesus Christ, and He is our deliverance. And so it often takes something like an overbearing ruler or a difficult circumstance to remind people that there is more in glory than there ever is on this earth. How long does it take for us as Christians? I'm not talking to the world. If you're not, if you're not a Christian this morning... You're off the hook as I'm talking right now because I'm talking to Christians. How long does it take Christians to recognize that the things of this world have no shine, right? That RV, that lake house, that new house, this, that, the other thing, whatever it is, uh, whatever you're wanting, that person, that ideal person, that ideal job, that ideal education, that degree. I mean, I'm not saying not to have all of those things. Get all the stuff that God wants to give you there. God's all about blessing you. But what I'm saying is that it doesn't hold any value. Right when you when you put it next to Christ, I mean we have young people that they, they they rigorously go through school or they used to now it's not so rigorous and then they go off to then they go off to a, a secondary education what for so they can get some job so basically so they can be in bondage and then they miss the reality of what God put them here for which is to grab hold of His mission and to go forward in faith 
I mean, the real reason that God put us here is to glorify Him, is to understand and get our head around His mission, not to forget that we are a promised seed in in our own right and that we have Jesus Christ, the promised seed, dwelling in us. And He has planted us here on this planet, and God has a purpose for us. You know, I was just listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman on the way over. Saddle up your horses. There's, this is an old song they were playing, uh, Caleb, I guess. Uh, Saddle up your horses, right? There, there's, there's a, there's a, we got to go off in the wild blue yonder and trust God for all this. I was just imagining this song, remembering. Like, I remember listening to this song when I was in a mode in my life. I was young, and I didn't know what tomorrow would bring. I still don't know what tomorrow would bring. But the older you get, you know, you get a lot closer to eternity, right? And you start looking past next week and next month. You start looking to what God has in glory as the older you get. But when you're young, you're like, what's this life going to offer? Well, I tell you what, it ain't going to offer much if you're not following God. It'll pretend to offer you something. But at the end of the day, you got to get a hold of God's vision for your life. you got to understand who God saved you to be so you can accomplish that which God has saved you to do. I can remember being just in my early 20s, like 22 years old, 23 years old, driving down I-35, going out on the circuit. I was probably 24, actually. 24 years old, and, and I'm thinking and I'm meditating uh, on, uh, on what would happen if this generation, this generation that I'm in, doesn't carry the ball forward. I was so blessed to be at that time in a church that taught the Word of God, that preached the Word of God, that trained men in the Word of God, and I knew I was blessed. I knew I was saved out of bondage. I knew I had an inheritance. And what would happen if I wasn't faithful? Right? Who is the next generation? And those are things that, that should keep us up at night. Because the next generation is your kids and your grandkids. Joseph got to see his kids and his grandkids And they sat upon his knees, and he was looking forward not to what God was going to do to them in Egypt, not to what the records were going to say were going to happen to the history books in Egypt, but when God put them out, took them out of that place and placed his seed back in the promised land. Beloved, every one of us that has physical children and spiritual children ought to be looking to glory. How is it that God can leverage our life to get people out of this life into eternal life? That is ultimately what it's all about. Don't watch that cricket. It's distracting. I see some of you looking at it. So as we jump uh, into the preaching this morning, I haven't even gotten there yet, I want to give you three things to remember about those born into bondage. And and remember, God has a promised land, uh, and we will one day see him face to face. He is our promised land. You know, Toby Mack got that right. He sings that song, He's My Promised Land. It's true. You're not going to find it on this earth. We don't get a physical inheritance. Our promised land is Christ. So remember, God is our promised land, and we'll one day see him face to face. It doesn't matter if we live or die. If we're born again, we will see the Lord. Hallelujah. So remember these three things. Number one, God remembers his promised seed. God prepares a promised land, and God utilizes a problem king. And that third thing we'll get to next week. But number one, God remembers his promised seed. We saw Genesis 15, verse 26, and we understood that Joseph said, you know what, when I die, you put me in this casket in Egypt, carry up my bones from hence. Get me up out of this place. I don't want to stay, I don't want my bones even to be in Egypt. Get me out of here. Where are you going to take me? Take me back to the promised land. Carry my bones away with you. Go with me. Or go, go, with, go and take my bones with you, I should say. Joshua 24 And verse 32 says, And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought uh, of the sons of of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children 
of Joseph. You see, God remembers his promised seed when they are in the grave. God remembers his promised seed even when they're in the grave. Some of our brothers and sisters have already gone on before us. It's a grievous thing. There are some even today that are bereaved in our congregation. They've lost loved ones. The grave is a reality. It's in our face all the time. But when we know Jesus Christ, we know that God remembers even, even those, those of us that die. The grave has no victory. There is no sting in death. We have the hope of eternal life. Point one, Joseph's bones were brought up out of Egypt along with the entire nation of Israel. And why might that be if this is a picture book? Well, I'm glad you asked. Those are good questions. Point two, because they foreshadowed the time Jesus spent in Egypt. That's one of the reasons, because they foreshadowed the time that Jesus spent in Egypt as a child. The angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph, Mary's espoused husband, in a, in a dream in Matthew two thirteen through 15, to let them know that he should flee wicked Herod's decree to murder all the children. Actually, he's not a spouse at that time. Uh, and so, uh, and so uh, they take all the children under two years old, and they flee to Egypt. Matthew 2.14, the Holy Ghost tells us through Matthew, when he arose, Joseph, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and, there, and, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. That phrase, my son, is very pregnant in meaning as you study it out through the Bible. This is a dual prophecy of Israel, the nation, also called God's son in Exodus 4.22, and we'll get to that later, and Jesus, the son of God. The prophecy mentioned by the Lord in Matthew 2.15 comes from Hosea 11.1, which says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Now, this is the Holy Spirit of God through uh, the Word of God showing us how the Bible is put together. Historically, obviously, Hosea was literally talking about Israel, the nation that was in bondage. Prophetically, that's what was going on in history. Uh, but also, he's also dealing with a prophecy of, which no one would have seen in the Old Testament, of the Lord Jesus Christ himself going down into Egypt and being brought forth. How do we know that? Because it's declared to, to Joseph and recorded in the book of Matthew. On top of that, it's also dealing with Israel as a nation who has not only been in captivity uh, you know, in, the, in 606 B.C., but also in 70 A.D. went into captivity. And Ephesians, or Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 tells us they're a son. So we are living even prophecy today as we have seen God bring uh, Egypt's a type of the world in the New Testament. Well, guess where Israel's been dispersed for the last uh, you know, 1,600 years or more than that now? Not 2,000, because it's 70 A.D. minus 1948, whatever that equals out to. <clears throat> They've been dispersed throughout the world. Right, 1918, um, Parliament in, in Great Britain said, come on back. They granted Israel the land in the Belfar Declaration. They didn't get back. World War I occurred. Uh, and so World War II comes along, 1948. Our very own Harry S. Truman uh, takes and signs, strikes out the land of Palestine, create, puts Israel... The nation of Israel, named after Jacob's seed, writes it in there, and Israel becomes a nation. Boom. And that, my friends, is the son, not, not the individual like us, but Israel as a nation in formulation. They're not spiritually alive yet. They're still dead in trespass and sins, but they are, they are coming to a place where God's going to bring them back and quicken them as a nation. So it's interesting how God's word goes together. You can see a lot just with that. But if you are born again, which is important, this morning. If you're born again, you're, you are called a son of God. And I'm not going to run all the references for time's sake, but in 1 John 
chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, you can clearly see that we are the sons of God. Individually, we are the sons of God. It doesn't appear what we, what we right now, it doesn't look, I don't look like what I will look like. But there's a day coming when I will be changed. I'll be literally, 1 Corinthians 15, in an instant, if I'm here before, uh, if I'm here when the Lord returns and I don't die first, then boom, I'm going to be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. And if you're dead in the ground, you're going, to be, you're going to be resurrected. You're going to be changed. And you will look a lot different than you do today. John 1.12 says that we are born again by the word of God. We are sons of God. So if, if God's going to call you out of this world, dead or alive, you need to get a hold of that thing. You're coming out. You're coming out. And this, we see a shadow of the rapture of the church spoken, of, uh, spoken by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And I'll explain that. But first, let's look at the text. Many of you know this passage, but let's look at it afresh. He says in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, and that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you believe that this morning? Amen. If you don't, your loss is a goose. Right? If we believe that, and we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep, those that have died in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So there's the order. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So those in the grave will come up first, and then we will quickly follow behind, and this is going to happen fast. Now, what's, what's that all about? Well, that's about God fulfilling some promises that he's made. We see two groups of people listed in this passage. First, we see those who sleep or those that have died. Second, we see those that are alive and remain. Our promised land is not Israel. Those promises are still left with Israel. Romans 9 through 11 teaches us about that. Our promised land is New Jerusalem, where we will rule and reign with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ is our promise. Point B, God remembers his promised seed when they are in the womb. Right when they're in the womb, Jeremiah is the pro- Jeremiah the prophet was reminded of this in Jeremiah chapter one. It says, "Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations." What? You mean he wasn't unviable tissue mass when he was in the womb? No, he wasn't. Why? Because he sanctified him in the womb. There's a lot to be thought about or to be learned there about how God values the womb just in that one passage. John the Baptist leapt in the, in the womb of his mother when he heard Mary come into the room. In Luke 144, the Bible says, For lo, as soon as the voice of the, thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe, that was John the Baptist, leaped in my womb for joy. So if you're wondering if a child in the womb is a baby, according to the book of, of uh, Luke, it is. John the Baptist was a babe in the womb, and he leapt at the sound of Mary's voice. So God sanctifies the womb, which is why a wicked king like Pharaoh would attack infants as they come forth from the womb. In Exodus 1.16, we already read, and he said, when you do the office of a midwife uh, to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if, if it be a son, then you shall kill him, and if it be a daughter, then uh, shall she live. And so, 
uh, we see that God providentially provided Hebrew midwives that feared God rather than men so that the seed of God's people would be preserved. You know what they needed? They needed an advocate. The people that the king put in charge to destroy life ended up not obeying his voice and saving life. God has a way of working all things together for good. And of course, we saw in the text what happens. The Israelites grew mightier and mightier, and we will see next, well, not next week, but in a couple of weeks, we'll see that from that process comes forth their deliverer, Moses. And I would just add this, an attack on the womb is an attack on God. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it just is. You can see that consistently throughout the Bible. And so uh, the devil's been after the seed of Adam uh, ever since Genesis chapter 3, point C. So God remembers his promised seed when they're bound in the world. And again, this world is, a, is a typified by Egypt. In Genesis fifteen twelve, the Bible says, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And it was also... And also that that nation whom you shall serve uh, will I judge. And afterward, they shall come out with great substance. I mean, God calls it from a long ways out. And he says, hey, Abraham, uh, this is what's going to happen. Actually, this is Abram. He's not Abraham yet. Uh, I'm going to take your seed, and I'm gonna, it's going to go to a strange place. Now, at this time, Abraham doesn't even have kids. He's believing God at what he says. And as God's letting him know that he's going to have children, he's also letting him know that his children are going to be a nation taken into captivity. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 42, that's a, or 40 through 42, that's exactly what happens. Now, the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt, just like God said. And you know what he was going to do? Bring judgment upon Egypt. It is, a night, it is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out uh, from the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. We call it, what do we call that? We call that the Passover. So to this day, the nation of Israel celebrates every year that death angel going over in, in uh, Exodus and saving the nation of Israel as they came out of Egypt. And as a nation, they were born. Beloved, we, every time we have the Lord's Supper, that's one of the things we're remembering is that Jesus died on the cross and he, he was buried and he rose again. And in the text of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our Passover in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. And he delivered us from the wickedness of our own sin, of the wickedness of the devil and this fallen world. The world and the flesh and the devil no longer have uh, control of our lives. So point D, God remembers his promised seed when they sojourn. You know, some of us are on this journey. Every one of the 12 sons of Jacob is listed in verses 1 through 6. And <clears throat> as they entered with that 70 plus of, of Joseph's, uh, or I should say of Jacob's seed, um, they ended up becoming a mighty nation within the course of those 430 years. So God remembers his seed as they sojourn in the world. He remembered Abraham as he wandered from Ur of Chaldee, making stops in Syria and going on down into the promised land, and then finding time in, in Egypt, and then coming out of that. He remembered Abraham through all those journeys. He remembered Isaac as he worshipped in Gerar of the Philistines in, in Genesis 26, only to grow mightier than the Philistines until they booted him out. 
Then he had that tension over the wells, and he had to trust the Lord through all of that. He remembered Jacob as he reluctantly traveled to Egypt, um, the opposite direction that his heart was, was in, uh, in during that famine uh, in the book of Genesis to fulfill the promises of God's seed in the promised land. He remembered Joseph uh, as he reluctantly uh, you know, and unwillingly was bound in Egypt as a slave, only to rise victorious as a ruler, picturing Christ, whose bones were carried to the promised land. He, re- he, was re- he <clears throat> remembered his son, Jesus, who came to this world to offer himself a sacrifice for sin. And after three days, he rose again. And he, he of course, atoned for our sin before the throne of God. He ascended in Acts 1.8, and the promise is that he will return again for us. He remembered you and me as children of God, Neither your flesh nor blood can inherit the kingdom of God. Nonetheless, Jesus is our resurrection. He will quicken your dead body if you don't make it to the catching away of the church. And he will also change you in an instant through his spirit if you're here when the trumpet blows to catch us away. Isn't that good news? Beloved, I don't know what you're going through today, but man, God's word is true. He's going to get you up on out of here one way or another if you're born again. Are you born again this morning? Point E. And God remembers his promised seed when they enter the promised land. Of course, he remembers them as they enter the promised land. Exodus is a glorious historical prophetic account of God's ability to deliver his people from the bondage of this world and deliver them to the promised land. While we are here in this world, if you're a Christian, you should do what the the children of promise did in the Old Testament. And you know what they did? Look at verse 7. Look at that afresh. It says, And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now, what are we to be doing? Now, that obviously was physical, but also that was spiritually going to be their MO as they go forward and they take the, the word of God to the world as God's charge to Moses was to carry that forth to the Gentiles. So the reality is that God has left us here for the same purpose. We have Christ in us. We are to multiply him through the gospel. That's how people get saved. It's the seed of God's word. We're born again by the word of God, but it doesn't end there. If we're going to multiply mightily, how do we do that? Well, we know the book of Acts. Addition comes through evangelism, but multiplication comes through what? Oh, come on. You guys went to sleep on me already. <laughs> discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. Discipleship. Right? Acts is very clear. That multiplication comes through discipleship. That's not just having children, right? That's raising them. That's not just having an event to talk about Jesus. That's going deep and taking the Bible and opening it up and teaching people what God's Word says. Why? Because Deuteronomy 6 says these are things that our kids got to know. They got to be on the front of their mind. They got to be, they got to be, they got to understand that God has created them for a purpose. And it's not to serve the king of this world, it's to serve the God of heaven. What does discipleship do? It helps you understand your birthright. You know what? Abraham did not forget his birthright. Isaac didn't forget his birthright. Jacob, man, Jacob was a mess, but he never forgot his birthright. Joseph, man, a type of Christ, nothing negative is said about him. He never forgot his birthright. Ephraim, Manasseh, the other 12, they never forgot their birthright. Why? Because their children, they were brought up as children from their birth. Moses will come along, we'll look at him. He won't forget his birthright. Even when he's 40 years old and he's been completely immersed in the world, he comes out of that thing and he says, you know what? I'm a Hebrew. Now, of course, we're not Hebrews. We're new creatures. We're little Christians. We're Christ. 
Man, beloved, that's the reason discipleship multiplies mildly. Because it's one thing to know, yeah, I'm saved from hell. I'm going somewhere. It's another thing to learn what that means. What does that mean? You're a priest. You're a king. You, God has a purpose for you, not only in time, but eternity. And this time in life is just getting you started. And there are rewards for doing it right. And there is a price to pay for doing it wrong. That's why we're given an Old Testament picture book. That's why we're given this Bible, so that we can look at it and measure our lives by it and see, are we growing closer to Christ? Are we more like him? Are we on mission? Are we multiplying mightily? Or are we not? I see a lot of empty chairs here. I think Heartland better get to work. I remember when we went to two services, people were like, oh, man, we got too many people. How can you have too many people? We'll send out some churches. I've already got places on the map to go. I mean, there's no such thing as too many people. We got to get people saved and discipled and sent, by the way. Not just saved and discipled, but sent. All right. Point two, and we'll be done. God prepares a promised land. Now, this isn't in the notes, but this is, I got to add this in because it's part of this threat that the king is experiencing. He knows. That these people, if they don't have a promised land, his land's going to be that promised land, right? He's, he's a little bit worried. Point two, God prepares a promised land. Now, in Genesis 15, look back in Genesis 15 and verse 18. It says, again, this is a passage I've already touched on. Genesis 15, 18, it says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. And he lays it out. It's got parameters from the river of Egypt, which we know is the Nile, unto the river, the great river, the river Euphrates. So he doesn't leave anyone to guess. I'm not talking about the Tigris. I'm talking about the Euphrates. And then he says the, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites, uh, and the Hittites, the Perizzites, uh, and Rephiams, uh, and Amorites, and Canaanites, and Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And we'll get into that in a minute. So that's their land at that time. So God's covenant people get a covenant land. God's covenant people get a covenant land. See, the promised land is given geographical boundaries by God when he makes his covenant with Abraham. And when he does, it's big. As you can see on the map, I mean, that is a lot of property. Today, Israel doesn't have that much property. You don't see that again until the millennium uh, when Israel gets that kind of land grant. uh, Harry Truman for all the good he did in, in you know, signing that document, he didn't give Israel that. He wasn't about to pay that kind of price. And so, uh, and so that is not what they have today. The, the, uh, it's, it's larger, though. Uh, today is... Uh, um, well, let me back up. It, it's, it's much larger than what was allotted by the United, United Nations in 1948. I got a picture of kind of some of the iterations of that that you can see on the screen as well. And I'm not going to take a lot of time, but Israel, uh, that's under Solomon. That's historically, let's go to the next one. I probably got those out of order. There you go. And so <clears throat> Israel has kind of ebbed and flowed. That one with e- Egypt, it goes all the way down into Egypt, or in the Sinai Peninsula, I should say, rather, which is Egypt. That's when Israel, in 1968, um, they had the Six-Day War, and they went all the way down uh, into Sinai Peninsula. Technically, um, Many could make a legal argument that Israel could still possess all of that. The Golan Heights are still under a lot of uh, legally, uh, a, a lot of uh, a dispute because Israel has given back a lot of their own property. Going back to 1948, it's expanded, it's contracted. Of course, you know there's all kinds of uh, fighting over that. But even when Israel <clears throat> had its apex, 
You can show that other slide. Under Solomon, not that one, the one before it. Under Solomon, um, it really never grew to where God's going to take it. Now flip to that other slide. Someday God's going to take it big. And it's going to stretch across the Middle East. It's going to be kind of like a triangle. There's different representations of that. But in essence, that is, that is the land grant that comes from the Old Testament prophecies of where Israel's going. Abraham's land grant will not be realized. Ultimately, the prophecies that we're talking about, they're not even realized yet. There's still things that have to happen to see what God said in Genesis 15 come to pass on this planet. Beloved, we're still in motion you are children of promise. You're going, to help, uh, you're going to help administrate how all this goes down someday if you're born again. Point B, God's promised land comes equipped with promised adversity. When you're talking about this earth and you're talking about uh, establishing a people, a race like Adam, and they're to steward the things on this earth, there's somebody who gets really upset about that. Anybody got to guess who that is? It's Satan. Satan has not liked us from day one. If you think he's your friend, you're kidding yourself. Just as God specifically names the 12 sons of Jacob in Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, as heirs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's covenant, so too he names Israel's enemies in Genesis 15. I mean, God calls them out early. I read them off. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaims, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. If you've read through the Bible, you know that Israel had to face off with every one of these. There are ten listed, picturing the opposition from the Gentile nations. Nothing that Israel does as a nation will go forward without some opposition from the Gentile world. I mean, as you watch geopolitical activity today, I just did the study several weeks ago when I was going through our seven realities, looking at the major cities of the planet. It was interesting to note, neither Rome nor Jerusalem were mentioned as major cities on the planet. One is the bride of Satan, and one is the bride is where the bride of Christ, or the, not the bride of Christ, but where God's chosen people uh, will rule and reign uh, when Jesus returns in the millennium. And so, and so, these are things that uh, the world doesn't see, but we see them clearly because we have a Bible. And to make matters worse, God allows them to grow in the Promised Land for four hundred years. So that makes a, that makes a, the king a little bit more upset. Pharaoh's not. Like in this at all. In Deuteronomy 11, verse 22, the Bible says, For if they shall diligently keep all the commands which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place wherein the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the uttermost sea shall, be, <clears throat> shall your coast be. Even under Solomon, that was not the coast of the nation of Israel. They've yet to really hit their apex. Why? Because Jesus Christ was missed. Just like he's our inheritance, he's our inheritance because they missed him. And we get more. Man, praise God for that. But when Jesus returns in the tribulation and they recognize their Savior, they'll finally understand and finally get their land grant and be able to administrate it as God intended. The promised land comes equipped with enemies for two reasons. Number one, to prove the, to the Gentiles left, <clears throat> the Gentiles left to themselves will continue in pagan debauchery as they have from the beginning. Uh, Gentile nations without Jesus, of course, um, without God, are going to continue in pagan debauchery. That's the way it always has been. That's the way it always will be. Uh, and to picture the struggle to claim our inheritance in a fallen world. 
1 Corinthians 6.19 says, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. You know, when you were born again, did you realize that you were born again into a combat zone? You know, a spiritual combat zone. I grieved over a, a young Nepali boy I saw walking down the street off of 7th Avenue down in KCK one day. I was down there uh, helping people learn to drive and what have you. And there's this little Nepali boy, he's probably five or six, and he's trotting off uh, to 3rd uh, or 4th Street down there off of, in Wyandotte County, going to this school in this neighborhood. And I know the statistics in that neighborhood. I know how bad it is. And man, my heart just sank. I thought, I mean, he thought it was bad in Nepal where you were in the, in the refugee camp. Dropping you in the middle of Wyandotte County at five or six years old and having you walk to school in this neighborhood? I mean, I just literally, I mean, I just went to prayer. It grieves me. I, I hope that boy made it out okay. I thought, how cruel is that? Doesn't know the language, doesn't know the culture. Here you go. But beloved, when you got born again, you got born into a bad neighborhood. It don't matter if you live in Overland Park. It doesn't matter where you live. There, there, this, this, is the, this world is not your home. And I tell you what, beloved, we got to learn that there is an enemy that wants to stop us from getting the inheritance that God has given us. Paul said, there's a great door and effectual. It's open unto me, but there's many adversaries. That never goes away as long as you're in skin. Your biggest adversary is you, but even your own skin isn't enough. There's other adversaries without, and that's why we have to depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ, just as Israel, as a promised seed, to go day by day and trust him for the inheritance that God has for us. But just to be clear, just so I don't miss, so no one misunderstands me, the church does not get a promised land. We get a promised king. For the past, I got the number here, 1,657 years from 365 AD and the reign of Constantine, Satan has been working through Mystery Babylon religion to hijack the promises of Israel so that Satan will be able to secure them through the Antichrist in coming days. But the Bible, Bible believers know better. We've been sojourning from place to place, spreading the gospel from the first century until now. And it's only been in the last 246 years that there's been a Gentile power that has allowed Christ to be worshipped without the oppression of paganism. It behooves us to take advantage of the liberty that we have and have had historically. To do what? Preach the gospel and multiply mightily. Multiply mightily. You know, that is what really set the Pharaoh off. It wasn't, just, it wasn't that Hebrews existed in his land. is that when they existed there, they began to multiply mightily. Therefore, he was afraid of their influence. Beloved, that is the threat that, that the church today should be making. We should make the kings tremble of this planet. Why? Because we carry the influence of Almighty God. We are ambassadors for Christ, for goodness sake. What in the world are we doing? Do we live like that? Do we act like that? Do we, do we comport ourselves like that? I'm not talking about some haughty, false uh, reality. I'm talking about the truth that Jesus Christ lives in us and we're here to get people saved. It's not that everybody's feelings uh, are, are, don't matter, but at the end of the day, what good are we if we're not willing to tell people the gospel, get them saved, get the word of God in them so they can multiply mightily? That's why, the church is, that's why the church exists. That's why God has put Heartland literally here. That's why Heartland exists, is to equip the saints of God in the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God by the grace of God. That mission is to make disciples mightily 
And I'm not willing to say we've done it. And if we're not doing it, why not? Maybe we're getting too comfortable in Egypt. Maybe the church needs to look around, not just in Cass County, but around the United States. Maybe we're all getting a little too comfortable in Egypt. Remember the good old days, the 80s? Everybody's eschatology changes and says, well, before Jesus, we're, you know, it could be great financial wealth and great peace. and all. I'm like, well, yeah, there'll be peace, a false peace, Pax Romana there. But, but no, I mean, no, it's going to get dicey. You can see it. Why? Because there's another spirit. Used to be you could point at this person or that person or this person or that person and say, they're bad, they're bad. They're... Now it's just like, man, there's a spirit. And it's anti-Christ. And Christians, because they're not mature, you know what, they get off track, they'll do the very thing that the king is scared of. They'll start a war. So if you're listening, powers that be, listen, our job in to start a war is to bring the gospel of peace. And beloved, I guarantee you, that's, that, you talk to Chairman Mao, that, that, that puts fear in the heart of a totalitarian dictator because you lose control of the soul. At the end of the day, it's all about control. Who controls your life and why? If you're a son of God, man, you're free. You shall be free indeed. It behooves us to take advantage of the liberty that we have to multiply mightily. But like Israel and Egypt, many of us can grow comfortable until the king doesn't know who we are and becomes un- uncomfortable with our influence. Beloved, you better prepare to depart. We know how it plays out in the tribulation, but what if, it, what if, it doesn't play, what if things start playing out differently before the rapture? You know, the tribulation, endure the end and be saved. You have to live your life or die, but you can't give up the faith. Well, my goodness, would Christians have any less of a standard? I mean, really. We, we don't know, <clears throat> we do know the difference, I should say rather, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. We understand God's covenant with Israel. We understand what God is doing in this age, and we understand that God is calling us home. We get all of those things, and, and, and we, we do that because God has given us the grace to rightly divide and rightly apply the words of God. Praise God for that. That way we're not blinded from the simplicity that's in Christ. We're also able to throw off those things in Revelation chapter 3 and be overcomers in this age and not get caught up in laodicea and mindset. So we understand all that. But today is our day to press into the battle and to see the souls freed from bondage. So next week when we come together, we'll be talking about how God utilizes a problem king. But today we're taking it to the streets. And I want to encourage you to own the inheritance of being God's promised seed. Invite at least one person to Harvest Party. Next week, next Saturday, we're having the Harvest Party. Uh, whether you're coming or not, would you be willing to invite one person? All right, let me do this. Let's just this. We're gonna we're gonna do this to see how it goes. Steve, are you willing to invite one person? All right. Can you give that to somebody? I don't care if it's at work. All right. Anybody else? One person. All right. Just one, that's all, just one person. Here you go. Pass them around. You've already got some, except Belinda. One person? All right, take some and pass them around. All right, one person. A neighbor, a relative, a friend. 
Gotta get rid of these things. There, here's some more. Take them down, pass them around. Man, Jacob, man, it's good to see you, bro. Man, I'm glad you came. Could you could you invite someone? All right. They're actually you guys having a harvest party over at So Eagle Creek or is it Eagle Creek? Eagle Creek will be having a harvest party too, so be nice to them. All right. All right, guys. Let's invite somebody. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm not asking anymore. I'm kind of expecting everybody to do this. If you got extra, you got you can start passing them around today. All right. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take some time here. I'm gonna make sure everybody gets one of these. Right. So there you go, Shane. Pass pass some down. I'm running out of them. Bob and Carrie, would you invite somebody? You don't have a choice. All right, guys. <laughs> I'm running out. All right, thanks. I need some more. All right. Hey, Ron, stick your hand out, bro. Give that to somebody. All right, brother? <laughs> when a blind man hands you something, you better take it. I'm just telling you. Mitch, you invite somebody? All right. Just invite, I don't care. Just invite one person. Your neighbor, you know? Oh, you need one chair? All right. We'll get more later. Hey, Rach. There you go. You see how hard this is? It's terrible. All right. I'm scared to death. You know why I'm not scared? It's because I know you guys. So I'm running out of There you go. Oh, thanks. You're helping me. Look at that. Brian's picked up the slack for me. Here you guys go. All right. Anybody I missed? There you go. You get more. All right. If I gave you too many, well, you can give them back. All we need to do is just go out and invite people. Now, we're inviting him to a harvest party, but beloved, listen. There's coming a day when God's going to blow the trumpet and he's going to catch us all up. And I'm going to feel pretty bad myself at the, at the great white throne judgment if I didn't invite him to the harvest party. Man, we need to invite everybody we can. Just because you got your seat at the table doesn't mean everybody else does. Now, bringing him to a harvest party doesn't get anyone saved. It brings him to a good time. But ideally, what we do is we get them a chance to build a relationship and share the gospel. And who knows? We put something in your hand. You go out and say, hey, I'm praying for my neighborhood. Just want to invite you for the, to this little harvest party we're having. And you never know. God might open an effectual door. It may be a door to continue your relationship, to continue the conversation. It may be a door literally just wide open where you can say, hey, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Has anybody ever shared the gospel with you? You'd be surprised today. Beloved, look around. People are scared. They don't have a promise. And the promises they do have scare them. There's fear. And you don't walk up, oh, God doesn't give me this spirit of fear. Too bad, pal. No. We should be compassionate. You know what? Our compassion, the Bible says, will make a difference. Put yourself in their shoes. Fun, an environment where we're not going to politicize them, environment where we're not going to judge them, environment where we just welcome them in, have a hot dog, come on in, bring your family. An environment where we, they can see Jesus. But that's all we need to do is invite people to be part of the harvest. And not just this harvest party, but the harvest that God wants to have when he blows the trumpet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity just to meditate upon the situation that we are in and the situation that Israel was in so many centuries ago. 
And Lord, we're so thankful for the pictures and the types that we have in the Bible. We're thankful that we have Jesus Christ, the promised seed, living inside of us. And I pray, God, as we go out as ambassadors for Christ today, Lord, that you would be glorified in all that is said and is done, and that we would invite people uh, not only to be part of the harvest party that's behind the building next Saturday, but to be part of that great harvest that, you're, that you want to bring in, where you save uh, even every Gentile that will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, Lord. And we're so thankful for that great promise. And Lord, it, it's free to receive, but it costs you everything. And so, Lord, may we give a minimal or a maximum amount of devotion in service to our King and our Lord. May we go out without fear and without trembling and go forth in faith and simply show the love of Christ to people in this world that is dark and dying. Like the king of Egypt, people are scared. People don't understand your purposes. They don't understand your people. Lord, help us to bring peace in a time of war. We are so thankful, Lord, for your promises. We're thankful for the unction that you give us through the Holy Ghost and the open opportunities and doors you give us. We just thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I didn't give an invitation, a salvation invitation uh, this morning, but if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you should uh, seek me out, seek someone that brought you, and we will share the gospel with you, how you can be free from the bondage of sin and death. And uh, typically I give an altar call. Uh, Today I'm not. But uh, I I need you to know if you're going to go out to, to taking it to the streets today, we still have more uh, um, material to, to hand out and uh, we have lunch prepared so right after church you can join uh, Pat Lee for lunch and get ready to go out and take it to the streets alright with that I'd like to invite Pat to uh, come up he's going to pray over the offering and uh, as Pat is coming I want to thank you all for all your prayers and all your graciousness to our family um, a lot of families in our church go through a lot of things I appreciate it it's a pretty long uh, time in the hospital with Elizabeth so I appreciate you all praying and all the kind gifts and thoughts and prayers, uh, most importantly the prayers. She is still at home, a little weak, obviously, but uh, she's starting to eat like she should and, and, uh, and get back to full health, so I appreciate that. So uh, as we give back to the Lord, remember, if you are a, a guest or even a member, please remember to fill out those uh, little pieces on the, uh, the handout, or uh, if you have a white guest card, drop that in the, bo- or in the plate as it goes by. Thank you very much. You know, um, as Brian was speaking, um, God put this, this verse, gave me this verse, and I was thinking about it. It really is. It's, it's just that simple. All we're doing is going out and inviting people to, to the harvest party, right? That's, that's, our, uh, that's what we've been called to do, right? Let our light shine. And, and as Brian was preaching this message, God put this Verse Proverbs four eighteen on my heart, um, and it really I was thinking about what you said. As we get older, we start thinking about eternity, and I know I've done that. As you start experiencing some of the things in life, and we see all the darkness around us, and um, you know you start experiencing health problems. You see people die around you. I had a good friend uh, call me this morning, and his and his brother passed away. And uh, he'd been suffering for a long time. And, you know, you just see it every day. You, somebody around you dies. Or you, and you just want to make sure that they have the gospel, you know. Or, much simpler, go out and invite them. Invite them in to the harvest party uh, so that they can hear the gospel. So that the doors may open. So that we can make friends. 
And Proverbs 4.18 says that the light of the just is as, uh, is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto that perfect day. And so I, I pray, that's my prayer, is that I would be able to shine that light into our community, uh, to shine in the darkness, that you would be able to shine in the darkness. And it's, it's really that simple. There's nothing really to fear, you know, but fear itself, right? So if you, if you want to come out with us today, uh, we're going to be meeting over in the Commons Grounds room. And come grab a slice of pizza, and we'll head out, and we'll go invite people into the harvest party. And it'll be a good time. So I'm going to pray over the offering, and we'll go ahead and, and dismiss. Uh, Father, we thank you so much that you've given us so much in our lives. You've done so much uh, for us with the gospel to give us the good news of how Jesus Christ died for our sins, how he rose again from the grave, how he gives us power over our fears and over all the things that are going on in the world that, uh, that people just get so uh, enamored with and, and which, which brings us down into the point of death, Lord. And we praise you for that. And as, as we take up the offering today, Lord, I would just, I would just ask that, uh, that uh, we could give to you the glory that's due unto your name, Lord. You've given us so much. Let us give back to you, Lord. Let us be a cheerful giver and be a cheerful giver not only with our, with our money, but with our time and with our talent. Let us give to you more and more, Lord, as we see that day approaching. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Jason's going to give... I guess the announcements. A few announcements while they're taking up the offering, and uh, we'll get out of here, guys. Uh, <coughs> so, excuse me. Uh, first off, uh, the first thing that we need to have on our minds is the harvest party. I know Brian's been talking about it. We're inviting people to it, um, but you need to be here for that as well. We don't just want to invite all the uh, the, the community and then uh, hope it goes well. Um, set aside some time. Uh, from 11 to 3 on Saturday. If you want to show up early and help uh, Chris and Lauren at 10 o'clock help set everything up, they would gladly appreciate that. But plan on being here. There's still room to sign up to, to do a booth or a game. If you don't have any ideas, they've got some ideas for you. Uh, you just need to be there to help do it, uh, to love on kids, to pass out candy. Uh, there's always something to do. So plan on being here as a church to support what we're doing, to reach out to the community. It's going to be a great time. The weather's looking beautiful. Uh, there's no reason not to be here. Uh, you try to give me one, and I'll, and I'll tell you you're wrong. So uh, plan on being here. It'll be a good time. Uh, so they do need some candy donations as well. Chris asked if I would uh, maybe put that out there. We, we still need some candy to hand out to the kids and whatnot. And uh, so if you have uh, any of that and you want to donate, uh, there's a, a deal in the foyer. It'll be here throughout the week. So if you want to bring it on Wednesday night or however you want to get it here, that would be good. Uh, second main thing that we need to hit today is uh, we need guys to sign up for the men's conference. I know a lot of you are like, yeah, I plan on going. Uh, so plan on signing up so we know that you plan on going and uh, we can get things nailed down for that. It'd be a really good time. Uh, there's four different guys that are going to be speaking and uh, we're going to roll out the King's Mighty Men uh, plan for the, the fathers and the sons that's going to happen this coming year uh, and, you know, grandfathers and sons. It'd be a really good time. So plan on being here for that. Get, sign up, guys. I know there's things going on. It's a busy weekend. Um, there's nothing that's going to be too busy than the, the, the work of God. And so plan on being there for that. Uh, it'll be a good time. Um, 
And that's the two main things that we need to hit for now. So with that, uh, Brian needs to do, we've got new members, and we'll be out of here, guys. I don't need that. So I just want to present our new members for this month. We have uh, the Atkins family. So it's uh, not the Adams family, the Atkins family. So I'm inviting Travis and Nicole and Colton. Travis, Nicole, and Colton. So you all get to come up here together. And uh, got baptized last week. That was awesome. So praise, praise the Lord. So, all right. Let's position yourself here. I know it's kind of awkward for... So, Travis, I'm starting with you because you're dad. Nicole's mom. Colton, you follow and do what they tell you. All right. So, inside, inside of uh, these are your certificate. There's a little New Testament. So, you can, it's got a plan of salvation. You can lead people to Christ right away. And uh, we're just glad that you guys have followed the Lord and believer's baptism and joined the church. So if you're in favor of these being members of HBF, just say a hearty amen. 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 Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the Atkins coming to, uh, to faith in Christ, coming to the point of following in believer's baptism, Lord, and fellowship in our church. Thank you for uh, them wanting to multiply mightily. I pray, God, your biggest blessing on this family. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you continue to to give us your word in a way that we can communicate it to others in an effectual way that, Lord, uh, that your, um, the understanding of who we are in Christ uh, resonates in our heart and we can share that with other people in a way that, Lord, your kingdom advances for your glory. I pray, God, that uh, as the Atkins are here, Lord, that you just grow them in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, give them everything in the world that you could have for them so that they can be blessed and be a blessing to others. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Make sure you say hi to the Atkins.